I'm off. So uh, welcome to uh, another Ethical Field Three Horizons talk. Um, I'm presenting this week instead of hiding behind the mirror board and Wardy is doing the mirror board this week. And today I'm delighted that we have Phil Donaldson from Bioregional, who's a friend and colleague of mine as well, with us today. So um, Phil, welcome. Um, perhaps we can start maybe by getting you to tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to Bioregional. You're on mute. There we go. First, just, first thing I'd like to do is to uh, just acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we meet on and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging and in Adelaide I'm meeting on the lands of the Ghana people. Um, really important I think that we recognise and try to reconcile our, our past with our future. Um, that's part of the conversation we're having today. Um, I think what you're asking is, so, you know, where I've come from um, on this journey. So I used to be a, uh, a teacher um, for about 18 years, uh, working in uh, high schools and also um, working with uh, adult education around uh, environmental, um, but also around uh, outdoor education and also into jobs in the economy and, I'm, and a geographer um, as part of that. So... I then moved into the government, uh, working on sustainability and climate change and water conservation, three of the, I suppose, the significant areas of our time um, from 2000 through to around 2014. In that time, I've also worked as the Director of Sustainability and the Urban Renewal Authority, um, which dealt with um, the beginnings of the Green Building Council of Australia, as well as um, things like ASBEC, Australian Sustainable Built Environment Council. Um, and part of that was also to then work on three of the significant green developments in South Australia being Lock Hill Park, Bowden and Tonsley. Uh, and then moved into my own consultancy business and, and part of that was to work with the Low Carbon Living CRC uh, and started up the Adelaide Living Lab with the University of SA and Renewal SA um, for 18 months and, and went on a journey of looking at living labs as a mechanism for change and empowering people. Um, and found that uh, really quite exciting. And Gareth, that was with you and, and Amanda Third from Western Sydney University. And from there, you know, my consultancy business is around, um, you know, collaborating for with other businesses on sustainable outcomes. So I have a couple of um, companies which I operate and, and work with. One is the Australian Living Lab Innovation Network with you and Amanda. Uh, the other one is Adelaide Design Link, which is a group of architects, designers and planners and environmental specialists trying to export livability skills from um, Adelaide, which is one of the most livable cities in the world, into China and Southeast Asia. Um, we've had limited success, but we're still working on that. Um, there's a group called Green Cities Global, which is looking at education and tools around green cities. And, uh, and then recently, um, the journey is, has, I suppose, come full circle as, as now the executive leader of Bioregional Australia which is linked to bioregional in the, uh, in the UK as the, as the head office. Um, so I don't know if you want more than that, but um, hopefully that's a good start. And hi, that, Hamida. That was a good start. And, and thank you for the acknowledgement. That was remiss of me. And I just wanted to mention that I'm, I'm on the land of the Wurundjeri people here. So yep. the same acknowledgement to the elders past and present. No, that, that was that was a great synopsis, and uh, obviously, you know, a deep, you know, a very deep uh, background you know, in sustainability, and um, maybe we could talk a little bit more about um, bioregional. Just give us a bit of an overview of what bioregional does. So bioregional was uh, has been going for twenty five years. Um, came out of the bioregional development group in the UK. They set up a. Uh, a a development called BedZ, um, which was to try and create a place where you limit the, the impact on the planet and you live a, live a lifestyle that actually starts to um, live within the constraints of the planet. Um, so they have a vision, which is a world in which people everywhere can lead happy and healthy lives within the environmental limits of one planet. Um, and the mission is to therefore create places, products and services which make one planet living easy attractable and affordable. Um, as part of that, they developed a uh, 10 principles of sustainability called One Planet Living, 
um, which is health and happiness, equity and local economy, culture and community, land and nature, sustainable water, local and sustainable food, travel and transport, materials and products, zero waste and zero carbon energy. So, you know. Well having, done. Can I just having, say, well uh, done. Well remembered. No, look, I'm, I'm, uh, I've got a screen in front of me which I can, uh, which I can um, read this off, but I think it's really important that the vision is um, a world in which people enjoy happy and healthy lives within their fair share of the Earth's resources, leaving space for wildlife and wilderness. I think when you look at these principles and the principles that uh, attracted me to, to this position is that the question is not why, why would you do this? It's a question of why not? You know, and so these are quite reasonable in terms of the way that we might want to live. It's sure it has a particular bent in terms of reducing our impact on the planet, but that's a critical path that we need to be concerned about if we look at everything that's been happening around the world. And I think what, what's important about these 10 principles and the One Planet Living program coming out of bioregional and the leadership that they've shown, has shown across the world globally, I mean, they're, they're recognised this year as one of the top 50 green companies in the world. Um, as leaders, um, Sue Riddleston is the CE and uh, Poran Dishay has been the drivers of One Planet Living over the last 25 years. Um, look, it can be applied to anything. And I think, you know, what One Planet Living does, it provides a multi-sector approach that goes across, you know, um, can be applied to cities and, and communities. Um, so councils, um, it can be applied to schools, can be applied to organisations and companies, um, can be applied to a a building project uh, complied to a tourist destination. Um, and so there's a number of things that this can be applied for. And, and essentially this is about systemic and, and transformational change. And I think, you know, when we, when we start to look at, look at the principles and the way that it operates in terms of developing an action plan, what we end up with is something that can, uh, can be um, developed over time. It's a journey. You don't have a target that says, I have to reach this by 2020. Targets, I think, are really useful because they make you accountable. Um, the, the framework allows you to set your own targets and, and then report on that, to be honest and transparent around the reporting process. So I think if we look at the world today, one of the things that we're struggling with is to um, sort out the wheat from the chaff, chaff so to speak. You know, we've, we've got a fair a bit of, uh, um, uh, I suppose, information that's being sought through internet, um, Facebook, um, social media, um, and actually trying to work out what the real evidence is or what the real story is or what the narrative is. It's really hard for people to understand um, what it, where we should be going. And so you talked about, um, in our conversation previously, you talked about the messy middle. Well, there is definitely a messy middle globally. Um, you know, we only have to look at, uh, you know, the the change in, in what's happening, for instance, in the Catholic Church, as an example, from religious change, that suddenly they're, they're, they're actually becoming globally political, um, saying that we need to stop, um, stop taking fossil fuels out of the ground. Um, so that's a big change. Um, we've seen in other states that, you know, we're actually having young people uh, jump up and, and start to uh, make, make adults accountable for their actions and the decisions that they make. And then culturally in Australia, um, reconciliation and respect to our First Nations people has been a, an incredible story that we have a long way to go. Um, and for the first time, you know, I think in Victoria, they are starting a, um, a truth um, a process around that. So, you know, there is a missing medal. And one, I think what One Planet Living does is actually allow us to take all those uh, views into in, in through one framework and, and create a better future. Awesome. So, you, you know, you've, you've a great description of a lot of things going on there and perhaps when you just sort of pause and come back to sort of what what are the problems that you know one plant living is trying to resolve in a way and what are the, the sort of structural things that are there that um has created this desire for a change um yeah it's a good question i think you know like we can we can go through a couple of really um critical paths at the moment uh, the big one is, is obviously climate change. Um, climate change has become uh, a panacea of uh, uh, significant things that are wrong with the way that we're dealing with the planet and our communities, um, where to a certain extent profit, uh, and there's a, there's a mindset that suggests, you know, we should be trying to avoid profit over people and purpose. And, uh, you know, maybe there's, a, there's an economic view that we need to, to look at, at the way that we distribute wealth around the world. Um, we have 
you know, potentially 5% of the world's population hold 95% of the wealth. Um, you know, and so that's significant. It means that the use of human capital to drive that is, um, is being driven for the, the results for a very small um, but significant part of, of, the, of the population. And so there's an issue around equity. I mean, there's an issue around uh, environmentalism as well. So, you know, there's a, um, there's a report that suggests that, you know, we're, we're moving towards the, the next sixth extension. I mean, Professor, and I'll just, uh, Gerald, Gerardo Sabalas from, uh, from Mexico uh, did, a, did a study looking at the species extinction um, process, you know, and so um, if we looked at the 543 species of vertebrates, uh, mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibians and fishes that were lost over the last 120 years, that would have become extinct in 10,000 years under the, the old um, extinction evolutionary process. So, you know, we can see that humans are having a massive impact on, our, on the, the other parts of our planet which share this place with us. And, you know, this is a unique place. Um, you know, we, we've yet to go to the stars. We're yet to find a new planet. Um, you know, there's, at the moment, there's no planet B, although we have, you know, for us and for our young people. Um, so in, in, in that respect, we're, we're really uh, destroying our environmental capital. Um, and that environmental capital has been shown in uh, increasing greenhouse gas emissions. Um, images that we see around the world at the moment um, you don't need evidence of uh, massive studies. I mean, you can see the, the picture of um, the, the Arctic, for instance, being free of sea ice. You can see the pictures of Greenland where the glaciers are melting. I mean, these are images that are real. Um, they're, they're not, they're not um, false in that respect. They're, you know, there's uh, a fairly solid view um, scientifically, and I'm not a scientist. Um, that, you know, a lot of this has been caused by human interaction through the burning of fossil fuels. Um, and, you know, part of that is that there's a, there's a rapid change in the way that that's happening. I think the other part that's really interesting is around safety and, and fear and education and, and, and geopolitical sense within the world at, at the same time, where we have, um, you know, significant parts of the global economy making rules for their own gains. Um, and, you know, we have have nations and states and, and uh, actually making um, personal approaches to look after themselves and, and, and then therefore the world looks after itself. So, you know, when one of the principles that comes out of One Planet Living is equity and local economy. And we've seen, seen through COVID-19 that, you know, that we've actually had to retract into our own borders, into our own cities, into our own regions, into our own communities. And what's happened as a result of that is we've had to support our local people, our local communities, their local work. And, you know, it's really important that we not only look at it from a point of view of how can we pass money through that economy, but we can also pass, um, you know, uh, skills and information and support through that economy at a local level. So when we start to talk about those principles and then what that does is then create a sense of community and, and hopefully that improves the health and happiness and well-being of, of people that live in, in those areas. Um, and I suppose, you know, some of the, the technology that starts, so we start talking about quality of life, um, even at things like end of life, um, it's becoming more and more difficult to have a quality of life at end of life. Um, and we're getting better at that. Uh, but, you know, again, you know, how can technology assist in the way that we can create better care and better quality of life for the people that, that you know, we all get old. I'm, you know, I turned 60 this year, so <laughs> I'm... Uh, I'm at that stage where I'm not necessarily thinking about my end of life journey, but you know, it's something that we need to, to think about, you know, the quality of life that I want at the, at the end of my life. And, you know, that happens now. It doesn't happen, you know, when I get to, you know, 90 uh, or a hundred, my mum's 91 at the moment and she's got, she's still driving her car. So, I mean, I'd like to think that, you know, the world that we live in allows everyone to live that kind of rich life. Um, I think the other part that's really a struggle is our consumerism. So where uh, we want a lot of things and, you know, there's a lot of societies where we have to, a lot, a lot of parts of society where we want the next best thing. We want to have what someone else has. Um, and that, what that does means that there's this continual flow of goods and services through the economy that not necessarily are some things that we want, but aren't, don't necessarily need. 
And so what happens is that we end up with a whole lot of waste. Some of that waste is recyclable and can be turned into new goods and services. Some of it's not. Some of it sits around in the economy, uh, sorry, in the environment and, and probably in the economy in that respect as waste for a very long time. So, you know, and that waste is left for future generations. And that's not something that I think as, as people um, that live now have a right to pass on to those future generations. And it's the same with the economy in terms of poverty. You know, we're, we're actually drilling down into debt at the moment. We give, from an educational point of view, we give, we give people, um, especially in Australia, we give them a, a millstone around, around their neck where they actually have, have a $40,000 debt when they walk out of university. I was very lucky. I got um, free university education. Um, I didn't have to worry about that. I mean, I don't have to worry about a whole lot of other things, but, but that's really, um, uh, that's a really important part of, of how we need to, to think about equi equity as being how do we make life better for not just some people, but for everyone. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great. And I think you've really drawn, you've drawn together a whole series of things that you know, some of our other speakers have, have, have talked around as, you know, talked around as well and sort of drawn them together at the One Planet Living. I think that's great. Um, so I'm going to give you a magic wand at this point. Okay. So with the magic wand that you can wave, you can leap into the future where those one planet living principles have been adopted and people are living in that world. Give people a sense of what would that world be like? What does that, what does that future look like? So when you put it all together, what does it look like? Yeah, look, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great question. And it's the one question that we ask when we go through the development of one action, um, one planet living action plan is to look at personas and see what they would look like and live like within uh, a one planet living lifestyle. So, you know, I would see that one of the things would be that you'd be walking down the street and you'd know people, um, people would have smiles on their face. Um, they'd be considerate. Um, they'd be helping, they'd be contributing to the, to the community as well as, as well as in their own lifestyles, you know? So I think, you know, there's a, there's a sense of positive in, positiveness in within the community on a on a regular basis, and people are assisting. I mean, there's Australia is a very lucky place in the fact that we have a, an incredible volunteer community, and I think that with uh, a one planet living kind of community, where you know everyone's involved in that that interaction, um, and we're sharing sharing the resources that we have to help other people move through their lives and to get their better quality of life. So, you know, not only do we have the, you know, and I could, um, you know, talk about uh, the Bhutan's happiness indicator, but I'll do that a little bit later. But I think, you know, one of the things is that, you know, people are prepared to listen, prepared to debate, prepared to be um, involved, um, but we move on. We keep moving in a positive direction to improve that, that quality of life. We actually reduce our impact. So one of the things is that we continue to reuse and find different methods that reduce the impact on, on the planet. Um, and, you know, therefore, uh, the environment becomes a critical and well-respected part of our community, not something to be cut down. So the design process of developing those communities becomes more critical. Um, so we talk about many forests being developed within our, within our urban area. We talk about potential for vertical farms to actually grow the food that we need that's, that's worked um, with our community from, from young people to, to old people. Um, and we talk about a water system, for instance, that is shared equitably. You know, I mean, I'd like to see, you know, that a one planet living lifestyle actually allows renewable energy and renewable water, I call it renewable water, mm. is something that ends up being very um, affordable and, and limitless in the way that it, that it gets distributed around the economy. And potentially, you know, imagine if you had that as free, what would that then do to the way that we live our lives? I think the one thing that, that is interesting from COVID-19 is that we have the power to change. And I think one of those things is that um, we've seen that people are more product, productive um, in terms of delivery of, of their own goods and services into the, into the world. And I'm talking about the office work kind of uh, approach at the moment. Um, and, and that has, has been uh, worthwhile. So we've changed that. I mean, we've also seen that we can create a living wage where everyone has money to be able to buy the things that they need. You know, the job keeper, the job seeker, you know, the, the political power when we have a crisis means that we can do it. So the idea of a livable wage, I'd see that as an important part of that equity and, and local economy. And I think, you know, when we, we start to change the nature of the way we, that we live, 
you know, transport changes, the tra transport methodology changes. You know, we, we spend an incredible amount on infrastructure for cars. People have to have money to buy cars. And that again is a, an issue. Um, but, you know, we started to talk about a local economy driving and a local community hubs and, and employment hubs that, that circulate but link into a global economy, not necessarily just a state and a national economy. Then, then what we have is a reduction potentially in, in cars. So we would end, you know, in, in owning cars, but then we would have, you know, the technology that's coming through from driverless cars and, and new transport systems. You know, we might not need our big freeways anymore. What we might need is a lot more, you know, bikeways that are, are built like freeways, you know, and, you know, we have countries around the world that are now spending millions on, you know, and I've forgotten the country, but there was a country recently spent some millions, I think it was on 150 kilometres of bikeways. Yeah. And, you know, it's a lot cheaper and you actually get more people on it. And it's actually an outcome for, for fitness and, and health and happiness. Um, and I think the other thing that's, you know, that's driving us for this future, this potentially utopian future around um, where we need to be is renewable energy. And South Australia has been a, an absolute leader in, in renewable energy. Um, and it's now testing the, uh, the gold-plated approach to engineering of our energy resources um, with the use of uh, new technology such as battery storage for um, renewable energy. So, you know, we have these things that are happening. So that lifestyle suddenly becomes, what else do I spend my time with? Well, maybe I've got a better quality of life with my family. What have I got a better quality of life with my friends or with my culture or with my religion? You know, so maybe those things start to become a critical path in terms of the way we operate. So, you know, I think that those things, and we become more discerning. We become more discerning around the way that we make decisions about what we buy, when we buy it, what we need, um, what becomes valuable. Um, so this mindset of one, you know, one planet living is, you know, you get a more holistic um, approach to, to the way that we, uh, to the way that we live. And, and wouldn't that be critical as well? You're obviously talking too much. So I no, no, no. <laughs> no, I was just, I was thinking it's just a nice segue from there to, to look at, um, you know, what, what are the seeds of hope or maybe some of the projects, you know, the one part of the projects that have, you know, have taken people on a bit of that journey. Cause I think it was great when you're talking about, you're talking about those different aspects where you have a forest or the vertical farm, bring all those things together. You know, it'd be great to hear about a couple of examples of those, whether here or in the UK of, you know, how that's practically, you know, those seeds of hope and how that's practically manifested itself. Yeah, so let's, let's, I mean, I'll, I'll, talk really quite locally from an Adelaide perspective is that we um, developed Bowdoin um, as a one, uh, as master planned as a one planet living um, community. Um, it ended up um, moving to green star communities, but it ended up being a, you know, a six star green star community, which means that it's globally um, uh, um, accredited in terms of what it's trying to do and its ambitions. Um, and every, and it's one of the greenest, um, places uh, in Australia around the fact that it also has Green Star buildings as part of that. So, you know, what, what that does is that it leaves an opportunity for people to be ambitious, but also to shift the development industry in a particular way. So from my own personal experience, um, that's, that's what we, we have. I mean, from an Australian perspective, we've got a very strong cohort of One Planet Living um, I suppose, multi-sector approaches to, to it. Um, we've got uh, the, the land development, uh, I think it's development WA now, have um, got things like White Gum Valley and Evermore and, and um, Nutsford uh, are, you know, developments that are now seeing that have been produced through a One Planet Living lens. And that's all within a council, um, Fremantle, which is a, a One Planet Living council. And it, and every decision and every approach that it makes within that council is put through the one planet living lens. And so what that does is then, you know, it then puts all its developments, you know, can we have one planet living developments? Can we have one planet living schools? Can we have one planet living as an organization? How do we continually shift our, our lens through that? And they are held up as one of the global leaders in, in one planet living. And we're really lucky, I think, in Australia that we have places like that, plus Bendigo. Um, we have Barwon Water doing one planet living with Salt Tolkien. We've had conversations with them. Um, so there's places around Australia that are 
starting to take hold of this notion of one planet living. In, in the UK, obviously, there's BedZed, um, there's one Brighton, which is uh, quite a significant place. But we also have a destination in, um, uh, in France, and I apologies, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. But it but you know, you get to this place, which is a it just got um, You've got hotels and it's got, uh, you know, some typical tourism kind of uh, stuff around a lake, um, but it's all built to one planet living principles. You cannot drive a car. You must either be in a bike. Um, you must be an electric vehicle or an electric bike or, or that. Um, it's powered by renewables. Uh, it's built with sustainable uh, products. Um, sustainable food practices operate within their restaurants. Very local in terms of the economy, in terms of how much food is brought in from where and where those products came from in the local economy. So you, you've got these spotlights sitting around the world, which are significant. You've got places in, in Africa that are doing one planet living. You've got places in Canada, um, in Europe, um, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, we're hoping from the bioregional perspective in Australia to start growing the one planet living community um, in the rest of our states in, in Australia, but also in, into our region. So, you know, from that perspective, we've got, uh, significant growth in one planet living over the years. Um, and I know in Australia, we're, we're potentially looking at five new one planet living communities um, over the next um, you know, 12 to 18 months to, to be started. So pretty, pretty exciting. Um, but you know, it's a, it, we'd like to think of ourselves as a complementary um, tool for, for other tools, but also a lens to be able to demonstrate what you're doing um, with other declarations and, and frameworks so that it reduces potentially a little bit of the load of what uh, organisations might have to deal with, you know. Um, we know that some people, and you know, there are other tools out there. We understand that. Um, uh, there's, and some of them take a different approach. Um, I think what One Planet Living does for me and, and the way that it operates is about empowering people, in the, but also about going on a journey you know, we don't, you know, if you're continually looking and reframing your, your action plan and you're continually refreshing that with the people that you're involved with, then you completely have that ownership all the way through. And I think that's, uh, that's important. And not, you're not always going to get 100%, you know, uh, of, of people in a community working in that. But look, if you're moving in a positive direction, then um, they will uh, get some of those benefits at the same time. So, so thinking about that example, you, know, you sort of talked about um, Fremantle and those councils. So, if, you know, the council taking the lead. So, how, how have the community got engaged? How have they responded to to this sort of one planet living idea? Yeah, look, I, I you know, and I'll just you know, put a caveat on to this is that you know I've been in the job for five months, <laughs> so I'm I'm still getting up to speed with uh, all the intricacies of what's been happening with my understanding of Fremantle is that, you know, you actually have a, have a mayor who is leading that. So from the very top, you have the leadership um, and that leadership permeates down through people in council, but also in terms of the staff. Mm. So when you've got everyone on the same page along the three levels of what's needed, which is your, your, your mayor and your elected members, your staff, and then your community, then you know, life becomes a little bit easier. Um, because you're talking the same language and the language is consistent. So I think that's the first thing. Secondly is, you know, what they've done is, um, you know, they're demonstrating this with, you know, development applications that come in and supporting, you know, One Planet Living development applications, working with development uh, Western Australia. Um, so Greg Ryan in Development Western Australia has been a, uh, a firm believer and a supporter of One Planet Living. And, and, you know, so they're working with people like that in order to bring about um, development parcels that come from um, Development WA that they're releasing into the market that are using that framework. So it actually creates that support. What that then does is that you then end up with an education system that, that actually trains builders. It trains subbies. It trains... So you're ending up with a message that's going from the, um, the highest levels of, of uh, a council's governance all the way into the very practical... Uh, developer, contractor, subcontractor that takes on board the One Planet Living vision. So from that perspective, you're, you're, you know, there may be people that have uh, an ideological kickback, but you actually end up with people that are actually able to demonstrate what they're doing and, and, and they then become quite functioning in, in the way they operate. 
Um, so, and then you have the community that actually ends up living there, you know, and which is the end case, the, it's the end yep. user. And I think what's really important, um, you know, our journey um, in regards to living labs, Gareth, I mean, you know, there's, uh, you know, White Gum Valley is a, is a living lab. Um, Evermore is a living lab. I mean, there's a, a new one that's going up. Nutsford um, is, is looking to, to work with Curtin University as, as part of the living lab structure. They're actually sharing infrastructure at the same time. So special things are being done in order to create that lifestyle. And I think the other thing that, that's um, really important to understand is that community that are living in One Planet Living actually have a wider community neighbourhood network um, than what you would see in potentially your traditional and sometimes those gated kind of special kind of community. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the end up the difference. So therefore you end up with a lot more people that are healthy, happy, happier and healthier. And because it's a journey, there's a refreshment of that journey on a regular basis. So people have input, you know, it's not just something I've written a report. I pass that off. I've ticked the box and I move on. It's I've read the, I've done the report. I've actually, these are things and this is what we're doing next year. And, Let's get some input. The consultation process is, is a continuing consultation process. So the journey is for that whole community. And, and that journey, you know, and sometimes it will twist and turn. It won't necessarily go in a straight line, but, but nor should any journey go on a straight line. It's, it's something that we learn. And, and as we learn, we, you know, we allow to pivot according to circumstances. So, you know, it, it is one of those, uh, you know, very refreshing uh, examples of how we can, through the multiple changes in government, um, actually create uh, a solid pathway th through to that, you know, one planet living future. Fantastic. And I was thinking as you were talking about um, Jessica in Jinder as well. Oh, yes. Similar. Yeah. Similar kind of thing. So um, we've just gone past the halfway mark. So at this point, we will ask Woody to emerge from the depths and behind his screen and uh, see how he's doing on the mirror board. Hi there, uh, Phil. That was amazing. Um, Gareth, apologies to you. I've taken an art form and I've um, turned it into cartoons. I apologise, but bear with me for a second. We'll bring up this cartoon. Um, so, Phil, where we started uh, was with wow. your journey. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm not a great photographer either. Um, <laughs> So, you know, moving through your education and sustainability in the built environment and a couple of ventures and ultimately where we ended up is as the exec leader for Bioregional Australia. And then um, what was really compelling as you were discussing that was, I mean, it's got such a strong vision and articulation around uh, what it stands for. Mm -hmm. We, um, we had a bit of a yarn about what we call the, uh, the first horizon, which is usually, which I um, put in through these red post-it notes and it doesn't look great, mate. Uh, business is usual. <laughs> you know, it starts off with we, we're a bit confused about sorting wheat from chaff and we end up uh, with no planet B and a couple of dinosaurs, a big pile of rubbish and some <laughs> in between. So um, business as usual, we want to see interrupted. And, and I really got so inspired hearing your um, view of the future, mini forests and uh, renewable water and renewable energy and people making a contribution and having a, an action plan where you know people and they're smiling. That became quite visceral for me. And as you were talking through, you, you were also alluding uh, to those seeds of hope at the same time. So I hadn't put out there that a job keeper was actually a seed of hope for a, like a living wage. And it is, it's like that universal basic income uh, test run. Uh, and it is interesting. Um, uh, but yeah, anyway, uh, lots of great things that, we can look at that are showing us that there is an alternative, whether that's Bowdoin and the six star green developments or the path of a council like Fremantle, which 
had the leadership and the grassroots supports, but then put it into the development applications through that One Planet lens, which trains the builders and builds capacity amongst the people. And then it is a, a, a net result that the community can now build towards that um, mm. very, uh, you know, awesome view of the future. So at this point, you know, I've, I've only captured what you've said. I haven't tried to add anything additional, but this is probably a good time, if, if you would, to share with us if we've got something cockeyed, like uh, something that was meant to be in a seed of hope is missing or in your vision of the future in a utopian sense that's missing, or if I totally got uh, you misrepresented at any point, this is the, the time to fix it. No, look, I think you've, you've, uh, you've done a very uh, great job, um, Woody. I mean, I think that one of the things that there's probably a few tweaks just, uh, and I'd have to look at it uh, in fine grain detail, but there's a, there's a nice narrative that you've captured. I think the one thing that I haven't been able to, to really put into this uh, perspective around seeds, seeds of hope is that there is a lot of things that are happening around the world in, in, uh, from a governance perspective that we have uh, incredible leadership while, with people like, um, you know, Jacinda Ardern. Um, we have um, the youth of the world creating waves of change. Um, you know, you've got Greta, you've got um, Bojan, who's the, the ocean um, cleanup person. And Malalia, who's uh, from Pakistan. I mean, those three are, have been touted as, you know, some of the, the great youth voices of our time. Um, you know, before that, we had um, David Suzuki's daughter as well, who addressed the UN um, a fair way back. You know, so we actually have those things actually happening uh, at the moment. So I think those seeds have changed. But also, I think there's, there's a bit of hope um, when we have, uh, people starting to think about GDP as not being the economic uh, measure of success for a nation anymore, that we're starting to look at the Bhutan's um, uh, happiness index um, as being a potential uh, view to the future um, because, you know, who doesn't want everyone to be happy, you know, uh, healthy and wise um, and purposeful? Uh, and so the, the measure which GDP is market-driven, uh, market-driven always, always seems to me as to be something that uh, is about there's an unlimited supply of resources, um, but there isn't. You know, we're, we're captured in a bubble and we're a spaceship um, as a planet going through the solar system. So, you know, I think that's... Uh, um, a really important part of that. I think in terms of that empowerment journey, um, you know, people get to speak, have their own voice um, as well. Um, and so being listened to, uh, I think is an important part of that. Um, and, you know, the community that we end up with is a community that we all own. Um, so uh, I think that's an innovation um, well, technology is the important enabler for the future. I think the other part is the social and cultural governance and, and respect. Uh, that's an important enabler for Australia um, in the future as well. Um, so, but yeah, I think you've captured, uh, captured it really well. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. It really, looks really good. Well, uh, shall we go and make it messy? I think we should. So let's, let's see if we can get across the messy middle. Um, so where to start? Right. Do you want me to stop sharing and you can take over or do you want me to disappear while we discuss this and I'll capture it in the background? Yeah. Uh, don't mind. Up, up, up to you. I'll disappear and let you go um, more naturally. Okay. So... Um, one of the things that we face is a growing sense of you know growing growing disinformation disinformation you know and hardening partisanship and ideologies that go with some of that um, 
you know, particularly around even some of the climate science. You know, we see it with COVID, we see it with climate science. So that almost is, you know, whether we want to think of it, that, that first horizon sort of fighting back. How do you see the one planet idea and bioregional helping overcome that? You know, how do we, how do we navigate that terrain? I think, you know, it's, um, the first thing is, uh, is about messaging and narrative, you know, um, because the message is, is a simple message. Um, you know, we want to live within the, the resources of one planet um, and, you know, space, have space for, for wilderness and wildlife. I think that's a really simple message to capture. So the simpler the message, I think, is really important. I think the second thing is, in terms of getting that message across, is, is that becomes a no regrets policy mm. about, you know, what we do. Um, so if we stop using, for instance, fossil fuels, what's the, what's the consequence that comes? You know, and Arnold Schwarzenegger put it really well when he said, look, you know, if we take away pollution and climate change and we look at pollution as being a health issue and we stop fossil fuels, then people become more healthy. Who wouldn't want that? So it's a no regrets approach. And if renewables are starting to be cheaper than fossil fuels, then the question is, why not? So the question then becomes, you know, what's driving that? You know, um, and then if, fossil, sorry, if renewables is cheaper, then is now electricity potentially cheaper? You know, is there a different model? You know, we're starting to see, um, you know, people putting solar panels and sharing their power to other people that don't have solar panels. And so you've got a mini economy that regulation is struggling with and therefore government is struggling with, how do I get money from that? How do I tax that? Well, you know, and that's, and that's an interesting conundrum for government. So when you start to look at these things, you say, well, okay, well, you know, and if you start talking about waste and saying, you know, we take away the products and we start people making more responsible for the waste that they're putting into the waste streams, um, same sort of thing, you know, why wouldn't you want to change our waste streams so that we can have things that are, involved in a circular economy can be reused, repackaged, remodulated, uh, and, and also being, you know, put back into other streams like th using 3D printers as a technology pathway. I you think win the Schwarzenegger Prize for bringing Schwarzenegger in. We didn't have a Schwarzenegger <laughs> Prize before, now we've got one. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks for that. Uh, yeah. So how, how, what's the role of, I just want to sort of say, so what's the role of you know, of policy and, and, and attitudes in that because, you know, um, you know, it'd be great, you know, this has got lots of rare earth metals in it and, and so on, but it's got planned obsolescence built into it, you know, and that's, you know, it's built overseas, it's built. So what's the role of us as consumers, but also of government to enable some of those changes? So, I mean, some of this, um, it does come down to political um, willpower, um, but it also comes down to market willpower. So, you know, people can be quite powerful um, in terms of um, being able to buy things that they want and, and need, right? So as soon as that, that changes, there's a change in the way that potentially banks or the economy start to look at what do they fund? You know, we're now starting to see leadership in the corporate world starting to take on the role that governments can't and even if we start to look at state um, and local governments making targets for renewable energy when those targets aren't available at at the top level so change can happen um, without without government i think what we're, we're seeing is that we can we can do our own stuff and you know perhaps you know the the force for government to be committed to climate change or to be committed to renewable energy targets or the like can actually be driven from a local level, you know, from city councils through to, um, to state governments. Um, it comes down to that political willpower of, of, uh, of how you do that. Um, look, I, and can you just repeat your question again? Cause I just want to make sure that I answer it. Um, so the, the other part was from, you know, from the consumer point of view, you know, yeah. how do we have influence? 
Well, yeah. So, so the, yeah. So there's the, the so being able to 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 demand, I suppose, you know, um, products. So product stewardship. Where does a product come from? There's a there's a an approach at the moment um, around um, farm gate to the to the table. So where does it come from? What's the labelling that happens as a result of that? So you know, we have systems in Australia now that are starting to look at labelling their wine in a way that makes sure that that wine is is the wine that they're getting when it's sold overseas. So someone can't just go, I've made a wine, I'm going to duplicate a label and put it on there. There's now a, a system about, it's really like wine IP that's starting to happen so that we know where things come from. And so therefore, with with the power of, of you know, we talk about the market economy, what we buy will drive those changes, you know, and what we buy starts to become ethical in terms of the approach that we use. So we want to buy food potentially that's, that has a more organic flavour or has more um, uh, free range or respect to animals or in, in those kinds of approaches, but only if that labelling. So government has a role to look at what the consumer wants and then protect that. Um, we're now seeing that in terms of intellectual property as well. So protecting the intellectual property of, who we are and what our ideas are, but on a global sense. So how do we do that um, from a government perspective? I think the other thing that's really critical is, you know, um, the ultimate in consumer power is at the vote box. You know, we talk, and I, and I, and I think, you know, we, we've talked about a green deal that's, and a just green deal as being what comes out of potentially COVID-19. Um, you know, we've got a long way to go and, I, and I'm not going to, be a health scientist or a scientist in terms of what those uh, could be. But, you know, the evidence is starting to be that if we went down a, a green economy and a just economy approach, then ultimately more people would potentially have jobs, more people would be better well, uh, uh, better off. Um, and potentially that brings us a healthy and happy and healthier life. And then if I take it back to my bioregional headset and I say, well, isn't that what One Planet Living is trying to do? You know, how do we make that happen? So having people on the same page about that and, and um, putting that in the power of the people, um, I think is, is important, but the people actually have to do the voting. And I'm interested in you in the just, the just and equitable piece and, and the navigating of that, because things like you know, solar panels not, you know, were initially bought by people who could afford them. You know, if we're talking about organic food, that tends to come at a premium price. So how do you see that kind of navigation of those two spaces? So, that, you know, there's, there's the desire to support those things, but also not leaving people behind, making it equitable at the same time. Another good question, Gareth. I think for me, there's, there's a couple of things. One is that we have yet to really cost in to any product um, two impacts on environment and society, right? And when we start to have talk about full cost recovery of impacts, then that changes the nature of what the real price of that is. Um, the other part is, you know, how do we change the subsidies? So if we're going to have a, an equitable, um, you know, renewables versus fossil fuel, for instance, then, you know, let's, let's have a, an equal playing field on subsidy per megawatt of power that's produced and, you know, all the other factors that go into that and see, see what the end result. So being open and honest about about the data. Um, I, I think that, that, you know, we as a, as a community, um, you know, One Planet Living has recently, sorry, Bioregional Australia has recently engaged with Humanitex. Um, and so some of our event money and our training money, a percentage of that goes towards Indigenous education. So you so there's a there's profit for purpose that's starting to be a narrative. Um, so being able to share your wealth um, doesn't matter how small it is, but every little bit counts towards that future. I think that's an important part of that narrative going forward as well. And and for me, um, what I'd like to see uh, is that there's a power of a positive thought thought that we can change, that we have the power to change, um, and. Being able to have people on that same journey of positiveness within the local community actually allows us to change the nature of what we do. Fantastic. It's a nice integration of top-down and bottom-up. 
bottom up there. <laughs> and, and so how does governance, you know, you've talked a little bit about government kind of thing. What about governance more generally? You're talking about a little bit about that earlier. How does that, do you see that sort of playing a role? Well, you know, so if I, um, I'm on a couple of boards. Um, so I'm in uh, Trees for Life and uh, EBL Disability Services. So I have a social and, a, uh, and an environmental perspective to that. Um, and I think that the one thing that about governance is the ability to be able to have honest conversations. You know, you, it's not about one person being right. You know, I, I talk about the three, I think the three C's. You know, you can have, you need cooperation. You need cooperation between people. You need collaboration. But you also potentially need uh, co-competition, um, which is around the ability to be able to compete, but you're actually competing towards the same path. Um, and, you know, if I look at Elon Musk as an example of one of the things that he did around IP um, for his electric cars, is he actually gave the electric car IP to the world and said, this is more important than, you know, um, me holding on to this. Um, but we will beat you on product, service, um, delivery, and and the other components. That's why you will still buy our cars. You know, so from from that perspective, governance is is also about leadership. You know, the ability for people to be able to lead in a way that people want to be part of that leadership change. We've got people in South Australia that have developed significant um, networks, such as Chooks SA which have worked on a cooperative uh, model. Uh, Maura were one of the, one of the founders. Um, and, you know, the, and this is a purely, well, it's not purely, it's unfair. It's, it, it, one of its key tenants is, is around um, closing the gender uh, pay gap and also around equity and, uh, and justice um, um, for, for women in the innovation entrepreneur space. Um, and, you know, um, looking at that. So if we look at governance, then, you know, um, while I, I agree to a certain extent with um, mandatory numbers on boards of being, you know, 50% um, women, 50% men, I think, you know, we need to get closer to that kind of things, but you still need the skills. So there's, there's a skill base. And so you've got to, there's a balance there, but you've got to bring people up to that to that level and, and uh, I think that's important. I think the other part of that is also that we're starting to see um, a lot more female leaders um, uh, in our, across Australia um, as, as premiers. Um, you know, we've got a long way to go at the top levels of, of some of our areas. I mean, we had a couple of um, significant people as, as leaders of political parties, Christine Milne from the Greens and then Natasha Dus stop despoyer um, from the Democrats, um, you know, Meg Lees uh, as well. So we've had a couple um, at the, that level as well. So, but I think if, if we wanted to take that a step further, I mean, the one thing that from an Australian perspective, you know, we, we have a lot more to do with our First Nations people. And I think um, our society itself uh, has... Uh, has to has to you know step in step in their shoes and and understand um, you know I'm I'm an interesting demographic I'm 60 I'm white um, uh, and to a certain extent um, in a position of uh, of leadership um, so you know I'm the I'm the I suppose the person that gets hit by all the things that are wrong um, and you know, understandably that, that we, uh, you know, there's a group of us in this age group and demographic that potentially have a lot to answer for in the way that we operate. But I think it's up to us in this, this area is to actually recognise that and do something about it. You know, I've lived my life um, trying to, you know, I was part of the Equal Opportunities Committee in schools. And so, you know, driving change comes from what you do with the heart um, and we need to do that with our First Nations people and, and also our, our multicultural um, people that come from overseas, our re the refugees, but also um, the people that live in our country with different religious uh, backgrounds that we need to 
have respect for. You know, not everyone's going to agree, but we have to get along. Fantastic. So I've got that. That was lovely. And I think that was a great answer to, to that governance question. Um, so I'm going to give you one final one and then we'll kind of see if you've made it across the messy middle. Okay. So one of the things that COVID has, uh, has taught us is the power of the exponential curve. Mm. So we're sort of saying, okay, we're just going to make 1% change year, you know, month on month. You know, what's, what's, where does the exponential change come from? when we're thinking about one planet living? Well, first of all, I, I'm going to take you to task that 1% is not enough, right? So we need... Choose your, your, you choose your percentage. <laughs> no, but we need step change. You know, um, we've, we've found that uh, there's step change occurring in, in climate. Um, Perth had a step change about um, 15 years ago in regards to the amount of wa um, water that was falling um, in their, in their city um, and they struggled with that step change. They had to make some significant changes. Um, if we look at the River Murray, there's an example where we, you know, there's a step change that's occurred in terms of the amount of river that's been available, river water that's been available for the environment. So if I look at the step change that's needed from a one planet perspective, I think that um, first of all, uh, a recognition that, that we're not above anything else. So there's a, I mean, I actually, um, actually just told me with me, I mean, so step change around equity. So an ideological mind shift, right? So change from the way we see success and wealth, you know, what's really important to us, I think. Um, I think uh, also the idea of equity and local economy, one planet living, you know, so the idea of a, a living wage, what does that really mean? And can we afford it? And I think, you know, we've shown that we can't. Um, Thirdly, around evidence and, and, uh, and science to make decisions. So making data open, but also being able to protect data in terms of um, the, uh, the privacy issues. You know, it's my voice, it's my face. I don't think anyone should own that on a data sheet and say that, that they can use that without my permission. So there's a lot of stuff like that. I think the other thing that I'd like to see is a change, uh, step change in terms of the way that we go back to this issue of the way that we value success. So if health and happiness is the step change that we all want, we want help. I mean, who doesn't want health and happiness, yep. right? And there's all these other principles that actually support being healthy. Then I would think that uh, maybe we should be looking at the Bhutan's um, gross national happiness index, or maybe a glo global species health index where um, people planning in prosperity prosperity is the way um, and that we need to look at you know sustainability is a strange word because it means that everything you know sits at a, at a, at a level we need to go beyond that we need to be go you know people are talking about regenerative um, economies regenerative systems regenerative you know but ultimately there, it's about systems in balance you know, and we're out of balance. So, you know, if I talked about what the step change would be, um, then I think it's about, it's a mindset change that the picture that we have of the, you know, and I'm talking from a Western perspective and living in a Western market economy, that the perspective of success, which is devoted around wealth and product and consumerisms um, and the picture that the narrative, that change needs to be, you know, how does what I do in my life actually help others? And how can we, we all have the major things that we need first and then look at what comes after, you know? Um, so to me, that's, that's part of that. We can talk about technology as well. Um, technology is an enabler, not a disabler. So making that equitable. Um, so the role of nanobots and, um, you know, 3D printing to you know, make things more affordable um, and recycling our waste. I mean, if we had more of that in the economy and, and more of that localised, then you know, maybe there's a whole change in having a local economy operate. You know, um, robotics um, for, for aged care and, and disability care. I mean, you know, does that allow us to do better things with the people instead of talking about care? We're actually giving them experiences because the robots are taking care of the care. Um, you know, electric cars, um, renewables, um, and a free renewables, if we gave free renewables 
how would that change everyone's life? You know, uh, so there's a lot of that kind of stuff that I'm, you know, I, I goes around in my head. I, I, I think I like the idea of, uh, of the mindset. I think the infectious mindset, if we bring it back to number, you know, COVID, so an R number of you know, three plus or something, um, maybe is the way to go. So um, we're, we're just slightly over time. If you're willing to hang on for a minute, we'll get, yep. we'll need to come back and see if you made it across the messy middle. Hello, and yes, we uh, sort of did. Um, <laughs> you can't leave him in Horizon 1. That one didn't end well. <laughs> no, we, uh, we ended up with a very large, uh, messy middle, bigger than both of our horizons. So, right. Uh, there was a lot there. Um, thank you so much again, Phil. Um, I'm very impressed to see Arnie uh, get in there. Uh, but from market willpower through to political willpower, through navigating, um, you know, our, our messaging, um, through who we need to involve in our governance and leadership, um, and maybe even looking at uh, different measurements, I think you helped us move through the messy middle. Okay, I, can I just make one, yeah. one um, observation? Can you change the one planet needs one nation the one planet needs first nations just that's what i meant yes, yes i that's thought you did i just <laughs> otherwise we might be pauline advocates <laughs> struggling yeah. Not, yeah struggling with that yeah, um that's right i've taken the liberty potentially rudely uh because i i kept hearing it in in different ways throughout your talk to say that one of your priorities, I think, is that step change around mindset, around wealth to helping others. Yep. Uh, and I put that as a priority. I didn't give you time to ask that question, Gareth. And then the other uh, priority I thought was that that link between technology as an enabler and making local uh, economics work. Yep. Uh, so... <laughs> I'm giving you the opportunity of one last priority. <laughs> I think um, the the la the one that I was really trying to um, it's a classic quote. You know, we are a part of the environment, not apart from the environment. That's that's part of that mindset in terms of step change. We we always seem to see that we're trying to conquer nature, conquer things. Um, because we're out there um, rather than saying we're, we're a part of this and we actually need the environment in order to, to live that happy, healthy lives. And we don't, we see it more as a political statement rather than a, um, than, than a necessity. Um, Brilliant. Yeah. Um, okay. So just to clarify at this point, uh, normally we would ask you for your top three priorities so that we move more towards our uh, utopian vision than, you know, towards this uh, dinosaurs and no planet yeah. better kind of vision. And I, I took the liberty and you're welcome to change it to say that one of them has to be a step change around mindset and this can go anywhere. Uh, I really am searching for, you know, if these are the future horizons, what can we do to nudge in the right direction? Well, I think that you know, the one, one of them, obviously, from my perspective, would be that One Planet Living is, uh, is a pathway to the future. You know, that would obviously be a priority that sits within what, you know, what my job is, what I do, what I'm trying to... Um, uh, see is that future. I mean, that fits to me as a, um, uh, you know, living as a pathway to, yeah, as a pathway to the future. I think that to me is, is a definitely um, what we, if we nurtured that, um, then, you know, ultimately there'd be a lot of things that would start to, to change that. So uh, I think that the top three would be, um, we talked about, um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, to me, that's that's um, 
Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, there's a lot of other things I could... I'll, I'll send you my paper that I wrote. <laughs> Maybe, um, well, send, yeah. send us the link to where it is so when we post a blog about this, we'll... No, I'll have to refine it a bit, but I was doing it in barely rough forms. But there's a... Um, there's two things that uh, was interesting. There was a, a guy, I don't know whether you've seen... Um, uh, the Future Earth, The Radical Vision for What's Possible in the Age of Warming. Um, that's, a, that's a book that I think is really important. And there was, a, there was something that I was um, reading, which was... Uh, uh, oh, oh, I haven't got it. Where is it? Oh, it's here. Um, there's a UN Foresight article uh, in February 2018 called Hacking Economics for for people and planet, um, which to me is um, a, a really good, uh, two of those actually start to give us that sense of, you know, um, the future that we might be looking at and the things that are stopping us from getting there. One of the, one of the, the issues is that uh, environmentalism is a, a, is a reactionary approach rather than a proactive approach. Um, and, you know, our proactive approach, you know, one of the reasons I'm in Trees for Life is to be proactive in, in changing that future, to create that positive future. Yeah, nice. Great. I did do some homework. <laughs> so, um, do you want to stop recording at this point or... I think we're 